Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Recording the sound. Wow, this is the future. <laughs> Do you want to go to a balloon party, Kate? <laughs> Do you want to go to the balloons? <laughs> that was our Irish accent, if anyone was wondering. Oh, wait, was it? I was doing like no. Eastern European. Okay, yeah. good. I was just checking. I was like, is it that bad? <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. <laughs> How are you doing? I am not too bad. I have some sort of illness that has just been plaguing my sinuses for a week and it's driving me batty. So if I have to have a coughing fit at any point, you'll know why. But I'm I'm fine other than that. <laughs> oh, God, we're not having much luck here with we're the whole really not. health thing, are we? <laughs> no, but it's I just I blame COVID. I blame being at home for two years. Yeah, weakened immune system. Yes, but I'm taking plenty of echinacea, so I'm sure I'll be right as right in no time. It's obviously working a treat because I've been sick for seven days, but it's okay. (laughs) Cut to Kate's just passed away from echinacea poisoning. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, folks. Oh, is that a thing? I wonder if you can. I might. (laughs) And garlic. I haven't been able to sleep with any vampires in seven days. It's doing me head in. Oh, Robert Pattinson, I'm sure, is fine. Oh, goodness. He is fine. Fine. <laughs> oh, no, he's not really my cup of tea, but that's okay. How are you, Dom? Um, I'm still not 100% either. Oh, my and gosh. And I'm now beginning my, you know, long list of doctors and getting tests. They removed like half of my blood count yesterday with, oh, yeah. you know, testing things. So... Still trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with my tum tum, but we'll, you know, if you're interested, I'll maybe. Give you I, well, updates. I'm very interested. I mean, gastric distress has been part of my life since I was 18, so I'm here for it. Um, maybe you're a celiac. We can yeah. both be celiacs together. That's definitely a possibility. So anyway, I'm being poked and prodded and not in a good way. And I was about to say not in a good way. you do it. But I did want to remind our fabulous listeners that um, of a few, you know, housekeeping things. Uh, mm. Don't forget to check out our Patreon if you haven't already. Thanks to all of Ooh. our patrons so far. Um, should we shout out our latest one? Sure. Who's We've got a new one. one. I'll tell you. Um, sorry, one moment. I was not prepared, but I certainly did. Well, uh, you look that up. and I will. I will. You continue and I'll and get back to you. Also want to remind our listeners that we have our Halloween special, which is running for the entire month of October with the BooPod Network. Um, yes. Our BooPod Network uh, partner, The Nightcap, is kicking off part one in officially one day. Like, my goodness, That's it's amazing. about to happen. So you're going to listen to our episode today, which is hopefully the day that it was released on Friday. Yeah. And Saturday, 
depending on where you are in the world, the first part of the Bridgewater series is going to be launched. So listen to us because this is a cracker of an episode and then go over and download and subscribe to the Nightcap because they're about to launch the first part, eight part series of the Bridgewater series. So, oh my goodness, you are so potted out this month, please. (laughs) You're so potted out. Get on it. Oh my goodness. That is so exciting. I am, we were just discussing it before and I am really, really excited. Um, so, you know, that's radical. And here I have, cause I just wanted to get, um, the info. So we have a new Patreon patron, Patreon person, Patronus uh, charm. Yep. Dark Tales from the Road podcast has joined in. So that's Kayla Barber. Um, and you have pledged, uh, to you know be part of our little family and we really appreciate it um so thanks kayla that's amazing uh yeah and you're part of the poop crew now yeah poop crew (laughs) you're our little poo poos how exciting oh we so thank thank you you so 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 much much. absolutely and all the other, other patrons as well it is um you know we're creeping up there we're getting there which is amazing yeah dark tales from the road is another pod that we featured a couple of weeks ago or three or four weeks ago um they're not part of the boot pod network but we just love them so much and they're so sweet um so go check them out and then if that wasn't enough if we're not just promoting the nightcap and boot pod and dark tales from the road this week we are actually doing our boot pod network feature normal feature which is haunted or hoax kate (gasps) yippee and these two just hilarious women from the States, uh, Jennifer and Kristen, they focus on the legends that that are like that have lived and you know circulated throughout the centuries, mainly based in the States. So they don't f- focus too much on ghost stories, but they focus more on the legends that have like lived on from all different parts of the States. Yes. Um, so highly, highly recommend you know getting that more historical folklore type version of these sorts of stories. I just think they're great. And I mean, who didn't love Jawbreaker and stuff like that, Kate, when we were in the 90s? There's so oh my many God, yes. amazing folklore, urban legend film out there. So anyway, go check out Haunted or Hoax. And this is their trailer. Boop, 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 boop. Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Jennifer. And we're the hosts of Haunted or Hoax, a paranormal investigation podcast where we investigate the legends and history, not just the ghosts. Our locations range from houses down in Savannah, Georgia, murder houses in the Midwest, to hotels in West Virginia. Additionally, we get together and go on ghost tours and bring the legends and history to you. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss the legends, history, and experiences from haunted locations. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Kate, oh my God, I love you. <laughs> yeah, I really, I like you. Okay, I do. <laughs> and I'm we not love... ready for the L, other L word yet, I don't think. No, These, they're amazing. It. No, I don't rush into things. <laughs> and Jennifer and Kristen, thank you so much for being part of the uh, Blue Pod Network. Folks, go listen to their pods. You'll love it. It's hilarious. They're funny. Um, and, yeah, just go do it. Yeah, do it. Not right now because right we've now. got a story for you. So yes. hang around. 
um, and it's Dominic's turn today and I don't want to be here. Can I just make that the (laughs) preface of today's topic? I don't want to be here. I've been told I'm going to be shown images. I already feel sick. Dom, would you like to introduce what we're, you know, talking about today? Yes. So as if you folks have been listening recently, I have been going a little ham on the murder and blood and gore and, you know, some really deep uh, confronting stories. So I said to Kate that I was going to try and pair it back this week and pick something that's a little more, you know, lighthearted, a little more, (laughs) you know, just not as intense and you don't want to get to the end of episode and think, God, humankind is horrible and... I'm just going to pack it in. So this week, Kate, I decided to address one of my serious, serious phobias. And Mm -hmm. of course, people know what we're talking about because it's in the title of the podcast. But spoiler alert. It is tripophobia. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot of gagging in this episode. So let's just start with that, Kate. (laughs) Kate, how is your gag reflex at the moment? (laughs) <laughs> it's actually pretty good. How's yours though? You're the one with the tummy troubles. I've just, <laughs> I've just got heaps of snot and stuff. Um, yeah. No, gagging's never been an issue for me. But <laughs> this week, it may turn into one. So, before we get into what trypophobia is, let me teach you about the actual gag reflex because we're going to talk about it. Okay, that is a great segue. I really enjoy that. And there might yeah. be some handy hints and tips here for, you know, other activities like eating, eating bananas, cucumber. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> but I'm trying to emulate Kate a little bit this week and get a bit more scientific and talk about phobias and hopefully you learn something, one or two things. So there's two types of stimuli that can trigger a gag reflex, Kate. Okay. One is called a somatogenic And the other one is called psychogenic. Okay. So is that a physical response and a mental response? Like, is that you thinking about it and then you actually something being touched in your body that makes it trigger? See, I told you Kate's a scientist. She's a teacher, folks. (laughs) Well done, Kate. So it's because of all the CSI I watch. Exactly. Now, somatogenic is a, it's, it's one that physically makes direct contact with a trigger point in your throat. Mm-hmm. And in relation to oral trigger points, I can't believe I'm saying this. We've it's all been amazing. there. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mum. Hi. This may be a large piece of food or mm. a foreign object. Uh-huh. Nothing more needs to be said. Now, some people may gag from a very gentle touch on a trigger point, while others may be able to tolerate a more intense sensation before gagging. Okay. Okay. Now, a psychogenic stimulus, it's a mental trigger that causes a person to gag. So generally, a psychogenic stimulus is a response to disgust. Mm -hmm. Now, remember that word, disgust, because we are going to really get into the psychology of disgust in this pod. I love it. Therefore, a person may gag when experiencing an unpleasant thought. Oh, do you know what's the worst? As soon as you start talking about this, it's like when you start talking about yawning, I automatically start thinking of the things that make me gag. Yeah. I cannot. Yep. Get used to it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Look at her lips and she's just trying to <laughs> not. Just, uh, wow. I'm trying not to think of the things that make me gag. How do you, do you want to know how to stop it? 
please, because it's happening right now. <laughs> so the main reason why a gag reflex occurs is to prevent a person from choking. It okay. is not advisable to try stopping it. It may also take years of physical and mental re retraining to stop a gag reflex. However, it is possible that some people have no gag reflex or they have a higher threshold to physical trigger points or are yet to face a sensation extreme enough to cause them to gag. Okay. So how do you desensitize it? So instead of trying to stop your body's natural response, a person with a sensitive gag reflex may consider using techniques to desensitize or pause it when necessary. So some of these techniques include acupuncture, acupressure, Okay. So you can actually uh, close your thumb. I was going to say. Over, <laughs> I mean, your this fingers trick. over your thumb, <laughs> and that can help. Yeah. You may have even seen some ticky tockies on it too. Mm -hmm. They also recommend using a toothbrush to test your gag reflex and slowly practice not, uh, you know. Yeah, not gagging. Not gagging. Right. Um, more extreme things are like local anesthetic. You know, just pop in that yeah, spare hypodermic needle that you've got in the drawer. <laughs> I know you can get like those throat numbing sprays. Yep. Okay. Uh, you can do distraction techniques. And you can also do relaxation techniques, like different mm -hmm. types of breathing and things like that. Okay. So do what you will with that information, folks. But I just thought I'd bring in a little bit of gag science to you. Uh, gag science, new t-shirt. Would you like to learn some gag science? Exactly. Now, Kate, let's mm -hmm. move on. What are some other things that may cause people to react, you know, rather violently to intense in disgust? Like, and, you know, we've all got different things. So I want to quickly ask you, Kate, is mm -hmm. there anything that just makes your skin shiver or like, if, yeah. you, if you see it or touch it or whatever? Yeah. Well, I mean, things that I think about. So, like, as a gag, like, thing that makes me, it's anything, oh, anything that is, um, like, like snot with other people. Okay. So, oh, far out. So, I mean, okay. So, here's one of them. I know that people have babies, right? Yeah. And that is great. I am also, oh, I'm also aware that sometimes <laughs> I'm struggling already. Um, I'm also aware that sometimes babies have colds and they have, oh, they get snot. <laughs> oh, fuck. And sometimes it's apparent that parents will suck it out of their noses and yeah. it, it makes me, f I, I can't, I cannot. I know You'll you can get it. little pipettes to do it. I will be like, I will give this child up if that is on my resume of what I would have to do if forever, if ever I was to be a parent. Cause I, I cannot, if you are listening right now and you have done that, can you please write into us? Because I need to ask you some questions. I need, I, it just makes me feel so ill. So yeah. Uh, snot. Um, snot. Things snot is a big one for me. That's I a good one. I don't like that. I'm, I'm definitely going to get you one of those little snot pipettes. <laughs> <laughs> little snot I mean, booger douches. My, uh, my own snot? No worries. Not an issue. Like, that's completely fine. It's just the thought of other people 
Oh, yeah. I just, I can't. I cannot. It's too much. That makes me gagalicious. It's foul. Okay, well, let's move on from that because there are some really common sort of, um, or more more common or more, you know, they occur more uh, readily in the general population of things that have that same sort of reaction that snot does for you, Kate. Yeah. So, for example, bodily fluids is a big one. Yeah. Things like blood, vomiting, feces, urine, mucus, all of those things, people can definitely have that same sort of reaction to. There's other ones like anything that's diseased or rotten, like meat, fish, rubbish, anything like that. Those really pungent smells again. Yeah. Just triggers saying, don't eat it. Absolutely. Yeah. There are some other really odd ones, though, which is where trypophobia is coming into this story. See how smooth I just added that in? I'm obsessed with this today. It's so KY Jelly, this story. Yes. And I even asked some of my colleagues at work what, you know, what elicits the same response. And some of the things that I heard were obviously nails down a chalkboard. That's a really common one. Uh Uh-huh. Cotton buds. Some oh, people, like that texture. Yeah, yeah they yeah, just okay. don't like the touch of cotton buds. Same with like corn flour or corn uh-huh. starch. Yeah. It's it's not quite sand, but it's got that rubbery, that, malleable, yeah, that resistance. squeaky yeah. feeling. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't phase me. That's okay. But I, yep. I do know that. I know of people who have that. Yeah. Wooden utensils, eating with any sort of wooden, cheap, you know, Ooh. recyclable utensils or um, the... the um, the stick in like a ice cream or a paddle pop touching yeah. your teeth. Yep. Peep stuff touching people's teeth or rubbing <laughs> on their teeth. Yeah. Okay. Yep. A couple others, ceramic on ceramic. So hearing Ooh. the sound of ceramic touch or ting or screech on ceramic. On ceramic, yeah. And it goes the same with like knives and forks. You ever hear someone scratching their knives and forks or scraping their knives and forks yeah, on okay. plates can also send people into that ugh, convulsion and shiver. Yeah, yeah, the shiver. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I thought of another one. Yes. People um, swallowing. And in particular, somebody who's like taking a guzzle of a drink and is swallowing, like, like I'm, I'm like, can you... Just drink like a normal person. Yep. There's some people, uh, yeah, will eat with, and that's just how they eat or drink. It's just too much. Don't, don't swallow so loud. Shut up. Shout out to Jessica <laughs> Taranto if you're listening. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you masticate, which oh, I love that word, if you same. masticate, if you eat anywhere near her, she Sh- could potentially vomit. <laughs> I literally remember one time she sent me a text because she had told me about this and then she sent me a text. She was studying at Deakin Uni in the library and she said, all she sent was, Kate, someone near me is eating an apple. <laughs> That's all she sent. And I was like, it's okay, Jess. I want you to take a deep breath. Can you study somewhere else? Like it's going to be because I knew what that meant in the realm of like she was going to, there was a possibility I'd have to bail her out of somewhere. Yeah. Like that's how serious it She's is. She's homicidal when it comes yeah. to it. So that's our little introduction. And here is where trypophobia, T-R-Y-P-O phobia enters. Because for me, I have been suffering from this for most of my life and I never realized what it was. And we'll get into how this has all sort of come to light more recently in pop culture. But trypophobia is 
specifically around any sort of surface that has rather dense holes, a repeated pattern of holes. So yeah. it legitimately makes me sick. I had to do all of our social media planning for this week Great. and I l- literally had to actively search for this stuff and put it in. And I tell you folks that I was so close to vomiting, like well, I lost <laughs> count. And I apologize. So trigger warning for other people. If you look at our social media this week, it's 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 rough. But let's get into it, Kate. So trypophobia is not recognized by name as a mental health disorder. Right. And so it is not a specific diagnosis in the American Psychiatric Association's uh, manual. Okay. However, it may fall under the broad category of a specific phobia if it involves fear that is excessive, persistent, and associated with significant distress or impairment. Mm-hmm. I reckon I'm pretty damn close to that, folks. That's how <laughs> I've left rooms. I've run away. Like yeah, That's okay. how bad it gets for me. Now, whether trypophobia can be accurately described as a specific phobia might depend on whether the person mainly responds with fear or with disgust. Okay. They're different. Yeah. Because phobias involve fear, a response to trypophobic imagery that is based mostly or solely on disgust renders its status as a specific phobia as questionable. So depending on how you respond. Yeah, that makes sense. In one study, most of the participants with trypophobia met the criteria for a specific phobia that's discussed, even though they experienced disgust instead of fear when shown imagery of clusters of holes. However, they did not meet the distress or impairment criterion. Mm -hmm. Even when you say the phrase cluster of holes, I I don't like that. Yeah. So it can be pretty common, right? And it's okay to have like a general sort of discomfort. But I think if you get further along in the sense where I literally, you know, for me, I haven't been able to sleep sometimes because that I've seen that image and then it's kept me up the entire night. Ooh. That's how bad it can get. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not as bad as that, but okay. Yeah. Now, what are some signs and symptoms? Now, trypophobia often presents with an aut- aut- autonomic, autonomic, nervous system response shapes that elicit a trypophobic reaction include clustered holes in in innocuous contexts such as fruit and bubbles and in contexts associated with danger such as holes made by insects and holes in wounds and diseased tissues such as those caused by mango flies in animals yeah okay (laughs) upon seeing these shapes some people said they shuddered Felt I just their, did. <laughs> yep, felt their skin crawl, experienced panic attacks, sweated, palpitated, or felt nauseated or itchy. You like literally when I go just... on a first date. Exactly, Kate. <laughs> I swear I've experienced every single one of those things. Yeah, okay. Now, other reported symptoms include goosebumps, body shakes, feeling uncomfortable, and visual discomfort such as eye strain, distortions, or illusions. I've totally had illusions. Trypophobia may manifest as a reaction of fear, disgust, or both. Disgust is usually the stronger emotion in those with trypophobia. Mm-hmm. Now, what causes it? Now, the understanding of trypophobia is limited. Several possible causes have been proposed. 
Now, one Jeff Cole and Arnold Wilkins. Sadly, it's not Wilkinson. Oh, but, so close. You know. There's not enough room on this pod for two. <laughs> now, they're from the Centre for Brain Science at the University of Essex, and they believe the, the reaction is an unconscious reflex reaction based on a biological revulsion rather than a learned cultural fear. This is so really important. I love this because I immediately thought, and you will probably get into this knowing you, but I felt like when you were talking about, you know, diseased tissue and insects, you're like, that screams cave people to me Yeah. of, you know, that sort of thing. Please continue. Exactly. Now, imagery of various venomous animals, for example, certain types of snakes, insects and spiders, have visual characteristics similar to trypophobic imagery. Mm -hmm. Because of this, it is hypothesized that trypophobia has an evolutionary basis meant to alert humans of dangerous organisms. Now, we can, however, believe the connection between trypophobia and evolution as a result of a threat from deadly creatures to be weak and that if a connection does exist, it manifests later in life rather than in childhood. So it's not wrong, but it's not entirely right. Right. Either. Now, Juan Martinez Agawo from the... Juan. Yeah. Juan Martinez. From Interdisciplinary Center for Health Studies at the University de Valparaiso in Vina del Mar, Chile, described tropophobia as usually involving an intense and disproportionate fear towards holes, repetitive patterns, protrusions, etc. And in general, images that present high contrast energy at low and mid-range spatial frequencies. Ooh. So it's that light and dark, blah, 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 you know, holes yeah. and whatever. Now, Cole and Wilkins also stated the imagery has high spatial frequency with greater energy at mid-range. So both are finding the same thing here. So whether together or separate, it appears that low and mid-range spatial frequencies are necessary for including trypophobic reactions. So based on the imagery's visual clues, uh, this group developed a symptom questionnaire that they believe can be used to identify trypophobia. Okay. Do you have the questionnaire for me? I don't have the questionnaire. Oh, I'm going to do it though after this. You should. Okay. Now, researchers have also speculated that trypophobic reactions could be perceived as cues to infectious diseases, which could mm -hmm. be alerts that give one a survival advantage. Now, in one a, or one? In what? <laughs> give one. Juan. <laughs> Juan. Put the wine down, please. Put the wine. No, I've run out. And it's only, we're only a quarter into our re recording and I haven't even got any more wine. <laughs> now, in a study by Kumfer and Lee, trypophobic Ooh. and non-trypophobic participants showed significant aversion to disease-relevant cluster images. But only trypophobic participants displayed a significant aversion to disease-irrelevant cluster images. So you see images that are obviously about skin and diseases. You know, these groups were having the same sorts of reactions. But the trypophobic people, when they were shown images that had nothing to do with disease or okay. with, you know, living things, whatever, they were still continuing to have that, that same reaction. Right. Okay. Now, Juan 
stated that because the reactions could not be attributed to different sensitivity levels or neurotisms, neurotism differences, um, they believe it supports their hypothesis that trypophobia is an overgeneralized aversion towards cluster stimuli that indicates a parasitic and infectious disease threat. Gotcha. Okay. So that makes sense. It's pretty much confirmed. You know, not a lot of studies been done on this, but there's that very strong link to skin yeah. diseases and, you know. Now, whether trypophobia is associated with obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, has yeah. also been studied. Okay. This is quite interesting. A significant minority of those with trypophobia meet the criteria for an obsessive compulsive disorder. Juan stated that other findings refer to trypophobia having common comorbid psychiatric diagnosis, such as a major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. So it doesn't cause trypophobia, but there is there is some sort of link or relationship yep. between these things. So <clears throat> let's just clear the air a little bit about OCD, though, folks, because okay. I don't want anyone to go or stretch too far here. So just got a little bit on OCD because it's important. So obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, is a chronic and debilitating disorder characterized by the presence of obsessions and compulsions that cause substantial distress and functional impairment or that are time-consuming. So traditionally, OCD has been considered an anxiety disorder, Kate. Mm -hmm. But recent research has demonstrated that anxiety may not be the primary emotional process that drives the symptoms of OCD. Okay. Which what, is really interesting. What is? There are considerable phenomological differences between OCD and other anxiety fear disorders. So, indeed, in the most recent edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, OCD was removed from the anxiety disorder section and classified under its whole own section. Okay. It gets its own page in the book. It does. Lucky. Now, additionally, the amygdala an important region in the fear and anxiety circuitry uh, is not commonly implicated in the pathophysiology of OCD. There's a lot of words there, folks. There's so many words. I love this, though. You're doing really well. There are, however, several lines of evidence, both behavioral and neurofunctional, that point to a significant role of disgust in the symptomology of OCD, as many patients report that they experience intense feelings of disgust during symptom provocation and often describe symptom-relevant stimuli as disgusting rather than frightening. Ooh, I see a link. So this is all coming back, and this is why I really wanted to include all these different elements, folks. So thanks for sticking with me. But again, difference between here, between fear, anxiety, and disgust. Different strokes for different folks. Right. Now, disgust is a universal emotion characterized by the feeling of revulsion or profound disapproval of something unpleasant or offensive. Much like many of my dates. <laughs> <laughs> now, disgust. Oh, that gets its own page in the book too, yeah. Our Dating Lives. <laughs> How am I engaged? I don't know. Oh, I, I mean, I do know, but that's, that's another story. Now, disgust was originally hypothesized to have an evolutionary function 
of contamination and disease avoidance associated with rejecting bad tastes, smells to avert the ingestion of toxins and pathogenic microbes, and thought it is now hypothesized to serve a more general protective function. Mm -hmm. So feeling disgusted is not you being a wuss or anything. It is actually scientifically proven to have a survival function. It is a protective mechanism. Mm. Now, disgust is characterized by a distinct facial expression, raising of the upper lip, and wrinkling of the nose and brows. (laughs) As we're doing it right now, folks. Do it at home with us. (laughs) Yeah, please join in. I'm sure people did. And now they're thinking, oh, gosh, I really did just do that. What two strangers on a podcast told me to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you did that, think about this. By doing that physical reaction, it may serve to protect the eyes and nose from contaminants. Okay. The stimuli that evoke disgust are perhaps the most diverse of any human emotion, ranging from dirty restrooms to unappetizing food to a much broader conceptualizations, including responses to poor hygiene, violations of the normal body, um, moral transgressions, like... Disgust is very broad, right? Super broad, yeah, for sure. Now, disgust is also characterized by aversion behavior and the tendency to distance oneself from the offensive stimulus. It can also involve activation of the parasympathetic nervous system resulting in physiologic manifestations like nausea. Mm -hmm. Okay, folks, that's the intense science over and done with. Well done. I loved it, though. Well done. Back to trypophobia, which is obviously what I experience in all of said previously. (laughs) Yes. And is making me fucking sweat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sweating because I realized I left my heater on and now I'm in a small room and it's blasting out 20 degrees of heat. But that's okay. Take your jumper off, Kate. (laughs) Yeah, might have to. So what's treatment for trypophobia? Not much, folks. There are no no treatments for trypophobia, but exposure therapy, which has been used to treat phobias, just general phobias, is likely to be an effective treatment. So forcing yourself to look at these things slowly or for short periods of time, whatever, Mm -hmm. can potentially help you to become at least not cured, but less intensely reactive to the stimuli. Desensitize you like our gag reflex with the toothbrush. Exactly. Okay. Now, what's the epidemiology of uh, trypophobia? Oh, I was actually just wondering that. (laughs) So if you're able to, (laughs) you can help me out. I would be thrilled. The extent to which trypophobia exists is unknown, but the available data suggests that having an aversion to trypophobic imagery is relatively common. 16% of a sample of 286 participants in 2013 study reported discomfort or repulsion when presented with an image of a lotus seed pod. Ah, yeah, the classic. Okay. We all know that one, and I don't need to show it to you, Kate, because it'll set me off. Yeah. stomach just filled with saliva. (laughs) And its authors found that non-trypophobic individuals also experienced more discomfort when viewing trypophobic imagery than when viewing neutral imagery. So even if you're not considered trypophobic, it's actually perfectly normal for it to be at least somewhat minor and unsettling. Yeah, a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. 
Trypophobia appears to be more prevalent in women, though. Oh, what a sexist phobia. What about it? Interesting. Yeah. I do just want to call out, though, that research in this is really, really limited. So please do not take everything as I'm saying is gospel. It's just as far as the current research is, is providing. But, I mean, people who are listening to us are fully aware that we we are pretty much scientists and detectives and, um, you know, we know a lot about this stuff. So I'm assuming that they are taking it Bible because we've shown that we can give you survival hints and tips. Um, we get through medical jargon pretty well. And we're right so, all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense if they do go down that road. Good. It's, I mean, it's all for your protection, folks, so you're fine. Yeah, that's right. Now, where did all this stuff come from? Remember at the start of this episode, I'm like, oh, it sounds like this is relatively a new thing, mm. right? Yes. Now, the term trypophobia is believed to have been coined by a participant in an online forum in 2005. So okay. this is a relatively new word. That is pretty new, yeah. So we may, we've made up phobias before, Kate. It's quite possible that one day people are going to historically go back and go, I'm just going to make this up. I didn't really like the smell of that vape. Yeah. And this is my, you know, phobia now. Exactly. We came up yeah. with the fear of twins, all that. So Exactly. Now, the word is from the Greek, um, tripa, which means whole, mm-hmm. and phobos, which means fear. Mm-hmm. So groups on social media sites such as Facebook and Instagram exist for self-identified trypophobics to share and discuss images that they say induce the reaction. Why would they do that? Why are they saying, oh, guys, I think I've got this phobia. Can people share more images so I can just double check? I it don't want to see that. It all on social media. So oh my because goodness. trypophobia is not well known to the general public, many people with the condition do not know the name for it and believe that they are alone in their trypophobic reactions and thoughts until they find an online community to share with them. This led to an increase in trypophobic images on social media. In some cases, people seek to intentionally induce trypophobia in those who have it by showing them trypophobic images, with the most trypophobic uh, inducing images being holes and clusters, especially the lotus seed head, being photoshopped onto human skin. That's the problem. I remember seeing the hand one. Yes. I remember seeing the, yeah, one with someone with an open hand and someone has photoshopped that seed shit on their palm. That That's unsettling. In, yeah, that was back in like the mid-2000s, Kate. Oh, That's sort of gosh. what kicked it all off. And okay. it just, it kind of was a lightning rod and brought all these people together and there was the usual sort of, that's not real or is that real blah 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 you know people didn't know because it was so well photoshopped and it just ugh. and if you go on tiktok like my i never search anything ever closely related to trypophobia lotus seeds holes (laughs) of any description (laughs) on my phone people i mean that's wise because if someone else picks up your phone they see your search history. Yeah, but somehow when I'm scrolling through TikTok at like nine o'clock at night because I can't sleep, because, you know, that's a great thing to do. <laughs> um, they still, I will get a random one that I know exactly what it is within a millisecond and I have to scroll past it and then it ruins my night. So anyway, Ugh. it's okay. out there, folks. Be 
careful of it. Now, if it, if it bothers you. Yeah. Otherwise, go and look at it. <laughs> now, our old mates, Colin Wilkins, also stated that the level of disgust for trypophobia increases if the holes are on human skin. Yeah. Duh. Now, writing in Popular Science, Jennifer Abassi argues that emotional contagion within such social media groups may be responsible for some of the aversion reactions to such images. However... In 2017, trypophobia received media attention when American Horror Story featured a trypophobic character and trypophobia-inducing advertisements promoting the storyline. Some people were disturbed by the imagery and criticized the show for insensitivity towards sufferers of trypophobia. Okay, everyone, toughen uh, up a little relax. bit. Relax, yeah. It's American Horror Story. They exactly. know that, right? That's the title of the show? You know... Shall we talk about guns, America? Oh, so anyway, we don't have, we don't, no, we, we don't, don't have, have enough time, time and we're not going to because <laughs> we'll lose half of our audience. Anyway, although there are sentiments uh, that the increased media attention could lead to people trying to induce trypophobia, there were also opinions that it might help people understand trypophobia and encourage more research on the matter, which I totally mm-hmm. agree. Some users responded to the September 2019 release of Apple's iPhone 11 Pro, which features three closely spaced camera lenses with comments that it triggered their trypophobia. Really? Yep. Okay. Just three? Yep. Okay. Now, writer and editor Kathleen McAuliffe suggested that trypophobia is yet to be extensively studied because researchers have not given as much attention to topics of disgust as they have to other areas of research. And because of the revulsion, viewing the images could incite in the researchers themselves. So the whole argument here, folks, was that, you know, there's been a lot of focus on things that induce fear, but Mm -hmm. we don't know so much about disgust and it's a bit misrepresented and the link between phobia and disgust and all that sort of stuff. So nobody cares about disgust. Just their cool big brother fear. Like, come on, guys, give disgust a chance. Exactly. Now, got a little game for you, Kate. I want to play. Oh, this is going to be hard, but we're going to get through it. Is there going to be pictures? There's going to be pictures. I know there's going to be pictures. Of course there's pictures. I knew I couldn't get out of this episode without that. All right. I'm going to be really gentle on the pictures that I show, not just for your sake, but for my sake as well. Of course. Yes, of course. Because now, are these some that will be on our socials so our followers can absolutely. look along if they choose to? Everyone will get to see these, but this Great. is like my Creepy Crawlies episode. Perfect. So what are some other common skin conditions or reactions that may incite the same response as trypophobia? Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> oh I don't God. like skin conditions. I just assume that I'm going to get a bloody skin-eating bug from going down to St Kilda Beach, and that is my one of my worst nightmares. But okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to skip the photos just for your sake, Kate. Oh, no, I'm happy to see them. Show ne- me the first one at least. The first one is necrotizing fasciitis. Bring it on. Now, Dead skin. Ugh, it's all right. This photo's not too bad. I don't love it. It just kind of looks like someone has a burnt Bird ankle. Bruise, yeah. Now, yeah. necrotizing fasciitis is a severe infection of the skin, the tissue below the skin, and the fascia, fibrous tissue that separates muscles and organs, resulting in tissue death or necrosis. The infection is rapid, fast-spreading, and fatal if not detected and treated early. 
If not treated with antibiotics and surgery early, toxic shock and organ failure are common. Now, necrot- I like that. Yeah, necrotizing fasciitis may occur in absolutely anyone. Previously healthy young people are often affected. The cause may be one of, of a more bacteria entering the body via an external injury or punctured internal organ. Great. Um, group A streptococci bacteria, which are the organisms implicated in strep throat, are among the most common causes. No so way. Be careful of strep throat, folks. Oh, maybe I've got strep throat. I should go to a pharmacy. No, I'm sure you don't. Okay. You you'd be in a lot more pain. Okay, lucky. Yeah. I wouldn't now, be able to do a podcast. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what, that's talking the, that's would the not be your favourite friend. Okay. Now, early necrotizing fasciitis is easily missed. As similar symptoms are commonly seen in less severe infection, the initial area is painful, red and swollen. This progresses to a dark, blistered, melodrous and blackened area, which is a sign of tissue death. Yuck. So if you see things going black on your skin, folks, go to a doctor. 1-800-GHOSTBUSTERS. <laughs> Other symptoms include fever, intense pain, low blood pressure, and shock. Okay. Great. Around a quarter of people diagnosed with necrotizing fasciitis will die. And sepsis occurs in up to 70% of cases. I don't want any of those things. Mm. This is here's my here's my takeaway from this episode today, everybody. Just live your life <laughs> because you might get a necktie face itis anytime and you don't know so just go and have a nice time do you have a wine right now have a wine yeah do you want to go to the shop and buy some chocolate cake and eat the whole thing go and do it i condone living your life your life as, yeah as much as possible yeah okay now number two scalded skin syndrome I hate this. <laughs> I won't show you a picture. Okay. It is an uncommon but major skin infection, Kate. Oh, this is really, this is the disgust level. For, okay, perfect. It typically affects newborn babies, young oh. children, and adults with reduced immune systems or kidney failure. Mm-hmm. So this syndrome is caused by toxins produced by the bacterium Staphylococcus. Orias, which is common in throat, ear, and eye infections. Around I probably have that too. No, really? you don't. Okay. Around 15 to 40% of adults carry this on their skin surface and have no problems of it. What yeah, so are you talking about? We have shit. 40%. Mate, we are just carrying around all of this garbage yeah. to spread into innocent humans. I cannot with the human race it's too funny yeah <laughs> but these adults may inadvertently introduce the bacteria into neuroseries or daycare centers so that's mm. why we've got to be really careful around young children young yeah. children have weak immunity to specific toxins they are at increased risk of scalded skin syndrome well it's because they haven't been out in austin texas yet and had half of the alcohol that state offers <laughs> and then you know fallen down on the street and grazed yourself and gotten a spa and then waking up the next day you know that's a totally hypothetical story <laughs> yes kate <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why i was so specific but that's hypothetical but poor little toddlies they've not done that yet so they don't have any amoons 
Now, as you can imagine, it is characterised by red blistering rash resembling burns. Mm. Early symptoms include fever, skin redness and skin tenderness. And within 20 to 48 hours, fluid-filled blisters form on the entire body. See, this is the thing. Every single time that I get some sort of, like, problem, because... I don't know if any of you can tell for, based on the start of our episode where we just talked about our ailments. Dom and I are both over 30. <laughs> and it's pretty much you get like, you know, I genuinely bent down to pick up a lid of an orange juice today and my lower back twinge. And I was like, this is how I die. I'm just yeah. going to fall down on the ground because that's it. And it's bananas. So now we're talking about all of these things. I'm going to assume anytime my skin is like, slightly tender oh that's it i've got scorched earth syndrome that's what i've got that's um, just put me in the grave well after the age of 27 your body stops regenerating itself like it usually does so i hate that yep we're on the downward trend okay now the I mean, problem I feel great yeah now the problem is with this once you've already gotten uh, this syndrome it opens the you boosters. up yeah it opens you up to a whole bunch of other infections pneumonia okay. cellulitis um it's like the dragon skin on game of thrones yeah it's pretty okay. bad dehydration mm. um but most children treated appropriately recover well and a healing is complete within a week so it's okay. pretty treatable that's good number three dress syndrome or d-r-e-s-s syndrome that stands for drug reaction with encephalia and systematic symptoms. So dress syndrome is a severe reaction that affects the skin and internal organs. The patient may have an extensive rash, fever, enlarged lymph nodes and damage to the liver, kidneys, lungs, heart, blood components or pancreas. Oh, okay. Sim- Just throw a dart, exactly. hit a body part and that's what you got. <laughs> symptoms usually start two to eight weeks after the responsible drug has been taken. Right. Okay. So this is after something you have ingested. So, right. Dress syndrome different to when I cannot find an outfit for a Saturday night. Exactly. Very okay. different. Now, the death rate is estimated between 10 to 20%, most often due to liver failure. So itself okay. is not the deadly part, but because organs It suffer bothers the other failure. organs. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Now, the most common drugs responsible include anticonvulsants, antidepressants, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, antibiotics, and sulfur drugs, a type of synthetic antibiotic. So you've got to be very careful. It's why whenever you do do take antibiotics and they do have a blood test, they always check like your kidney and other function to make sure mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. everything's okay. Kidney's sort of like the, the go-to organ to be like, oh, shit's not good. Hey, yeah. I'm Mr. Kidney, and I don't approve of this message. Yeah. <laughs> what i assume he says now early diagnosis is essential the responsible drug must be spot stopped immediately and patients may require intensive care or even burn unit management oh Mm. goodness gracious now very similarly uh number four our last one is called life-threatening drug reactions it's more general so stevens johnson syndrome sjs and toxic epidermal necrolysis, T-E-N, are variants of a life-threatening reaction that affects the skin and mucose membranes, mouth, eyes, genitals, respiratory, and gastrointestinal tracts. Can we just pause on mucose? Is yeah. that Okay. Mm. Not mucus. Not it's mucose. Mucus. Mucose. Okay. 
These are unpredictable reactions that leave sufferers critically unwell with widespread death of the outer skin layer. Okay. Which actually peels off. Wow! Ah, oh no! I thought it was enough, but you just went there. Yeah. Now, the rash generally begins on the trunk of the body and extends to the limbs and face, and there is intense skin pain. Great. Now, before the rash appears, symptoms include fever, sore throat, runny nose, conjunctivitis, and general aches. It's the rash that should concern you. That's why doctors will always ask if you've got a rash. Right. Rash is the essential part because all those other Rashes symptoms, be bad. it's like pretty common. Anybody yeah. can have it. So don't stress about those. Stress about a rash. Okay. Now, it's almost always caused by medications. The most common medications causing this reaction are anticonvulsants, antibiotics, um, aluprinol, which is gout medication. Right. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and a HIV drug. Okay. Because, you know, if life's not fucking hard enough. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It usually occurs within the first eight weeks. It's more likely to happen if the patient has cancer, HIV, or specific genes that may play a role. So it can be fatal, again, causing dehydration and malnutrition. I don't like any of these. I'll take trypophobia over all of these. Yeah. And the mortality rate of it is around 25%. Too many. Too many. Okay, folks. We got through it. I got through it. I didn't vomit. That's good. I'm never looking at anything trypophobic again if I don't have to. <laughs> I really, Except when you have to. Oh, you've already set up the socials posts, so that's good. It's organized. Okay. I, I had to do it because you and I, Kate, are committed to this podcast. Yeah, and we want to do it. Why we do it. But well, if I we're talking s- about other people's fears, we have to talk about ours. Yeah. I've got other phobias, right? Sharks. That sort of stuff. But this is the only one that incites that disgust thing. So I just thought it was a really good one for us to focus on because it's slightly different to everything else that we've done. And that is the end of my trypophobia story. Yes, Dominic. I love that. I learned so much. It was rad. Oh. You did really well. Why did I do this to myself, Kate? What? I, I mean, I made myself cry last week. So I think we're all <laughs> in that sort of boat. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. Hey, listeners, do us a favor. Go onto the social media platforms of Instagram, TikTok, um, Facebook, and give us a like. Send us a little message. Comment on a post. We want to hear from you all because we love you. And sign up to our Patreon. Keep our lights on. Sick of working in the dark, but <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> and tune into the nightcap in one day from the release date of this episode so you know yeah with us folks but on the 1st of october the nightcap is releasing part one of our bridgewater series and folks boy do you want to ride this eight-part series it is epic amazing get on board everybody choo choo we love you love you goodbye see you bye show you later ha <laughs> ha That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.